You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Manowar, and today I've got Brent Weaver on the show. Brent is the guy that started a business out of college and never looked back. Now, that frustrates me to no end because I always wish that I was that guy. But nevertheless, Brent's journey is very, very instructive. In this interview, we're going to talk about how Brent went from starting a web development business on the side while still in college to growing it into a 14-person agency that at one point was one of the top 10 fastest growing businesses in Denver, Colorado. Now, everything was going really, really well for Brent and his agency until it wasn't. See, there was something that was fundamentally wrong with Brent's business model. There were issues in what he calls the back of the house, and those issues eventually caught up to them. And it got to the point where Brent's agency ran out of cash and had to take out an emergency loan just to stay afloat. And that was the impetus for him to step back and take a good hard look at the fundamentals of the business. There is so much that you can learn from Brent's journey. Brent is very honest and forthright about the struggles and the challenges that he faced both early on in the journey and even as they grew into a larger agency. So really, no matter what stage you're at in your business, whether you're a small solo, you've got a small team or a large 10 person plus team, there's a lot that you can learn from Brent's journey. And I hope you'll take notice. Show notes are at forecast.fm slash Brent. That's forecast.fm slash B-R-E-N-T. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional service firms, you're going to want to check that out. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. With that, here is Brent Weaver. Brent, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Why don't you get us started by telling us the the Brent Weaver backstory? <laughs> are, are we talking about like 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 coming out of the womb and and entering planet Earth or well, we, memory, well we, or? Can, we can skip a few steps <laughs> and let, let's get into Brent I'm, Weaver. The I'm just kidding. We're not we're not getting graphic today for any of your <laughs> listeners who just turned the podcast off. We lost that, but uh, I mean, in terms of when I became an entrepreneur, I think is, um, I guess officially was when I, when Steve, uh, who's still my business partner to this day, we were, uh, 17 years old, we were in high school and, uh, I'd been messing around with computers for a long time playing, you know, PC games and, and whatnot. And back then in order to play a computer game, you actually had to like trick your computer into playing the game. And it took a lot of effort to get even the most basic of games to play. And so uh, I learned a lot about computers just trying to, you know, play the the cool games and things like that. And actually I ended up learning about how to create web pages uh, with front page 95 and uh, started publishing some stuff about PC games and ended up kind of creating this PC gaming website that, uh, you know, it didn't become like world renowned or anything, but it would give me press passes to big geek conventions and things like that. And I would, uh, so I had this, this, this website and I had to have a server and that server cost money. And to pay for that, I was working at a, a fabric store on the weekends, uh, making, I think $6 and 25 cents an hour. And 
uh, I had another couple people that were helping me with that gaming site. They started kind of backing out and getting busy with other things that you do when you're in high school. And I needed to figure out how to cover the the bills for that. So I started to put the word out that I could build websites and and maybe do that for money. And uh, that's how Steve, uh, my business partner, you know, he heard about that. And I heard he was doing something online, making some money with some email list marketing. And again, like 17 years old, this is you know, 1999, the internet's really just getting its footing, uh, out there. And, uh, we, you know, I got a couple of, of clients that paid me like 500 bucks for building some couple pages. It took me a couple days. And uh, I think somebody paid me 1500 bucks to build a quick little database for an import export company. That was a really, you know, CGI Perl script flat file database thing. That was my very first, you know, real code that was like a program that worked with the database. And uh, long story short, once I realized I could make thousands of dollars in a, in a week, I uh, went to my boss at my fabric store and I said, yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I, I quit. And then uh, him and I started a company called Crystal Clear Designs LLC. Uh, Steve's dad was an entrepreneur and he, you know, his CPA slash lawyer helped us get our initial filing. We, we, we filed the state of Texas for, we had $500 in our bank account. We spent it on an attorney creating a business for us. And that was really how we created what ultimately became a 14-person agency in Denver, Colorado. Now, there's a lot of things that happened kind of in between that. But, I mean, that was really the start was telling people that we could design websites or host their websites and really figuring out what, it meant to get customers and to get pay people to pay you for a service and just a lot of those business basics, just emailing people, promising something, taking a payment, having to deliver that. Uh, we kind of interned, you know, for ourselves in a way over five years while we were both in college and working the business nights and weekends and, you know, every once in a while skipping class because, you know, server went down or something like that. And so we built up this client roster, uh, while we were in school and, uh, you know, in, in 2005, we had this really big opportunity uh, with an organization out in California called CalCASA, the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault. And it was a, you know, high five-figure deal, like eighty dollars to $100,000 deal. And uh, we flew out there to pitch. And um, that was during our, our senior year of college. And uh, we actually ended up not getting the deal. But it, it, it really, um, it, it told us that there was an opportunity in this business that we had been doing part-time for years, told us that this was something bigger than just a few thousand bucks extra here and there. It was something that we could create a career out of or build a business around. So we both decided that we were tired of going to school and that we weren't going to go get jobs in the workforce anyways. So, hey, why don't we just quit college and uh, go do business full-time? And so we did that. And um, yeah, I guess the rest is kind of history. We uh, Steve moved out to, to Boulder where I was going to school at CU Colorado and and uh, we started hustling. <laughs> I think that first year we, you know, in 2005, when we, we first started the business, I mean, maybe, maybe the business did about 80,000 in, in gross sales. And, um, and uh, you know, neither, we, we didn't get to split that. I mean, a lot of that was for all sorts of expenses and things like that. But um, at least we were probably making maybe as much money as some of our uh, unemployed uh, graduate friends or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, well, and then, so, yeah. See, Brent, I already don't like you. <laughs> okay. And I'll tell you why. Right? So you got three strikes in my mind. First of all, you're that guy that started a business in high school, which, 
you know, I'm jealous is what it is, right? Like, I wish I was mm. that guy, right? Like, and I always hear these stories of these serial entrepreneurs who say, oh, I, you know, I was selling, you know, handmade computers when I was nine, right? Yeah. <laughs> I had very different interests when I was nine or in high school or college for that matter. But but good for you. Your second strike was that you live in, you live in Boulder, which I love, uh, and Denver <laughs> I love, and I try to visit as much as possible. It's a beautiful space. And your third strike is it, it, outside of the fabric store, have you had like a one of those, you know, those soul crushing nine to five jobs? I I had six months of, you know, to me, it was kind of soul crushing work. So when I went to school, I went to school for economics. Uh, I had first gone to CU Boulder for computer science. And because I was, I, I mean, I had been programming since pretty early. And after my freshman year, I ended up, they made me like a TA for computer science. And I was just coding all day or, you know, in programming classes and whatever. And then I'd come home and work on my business and I was coding at night and coding on the weekends. And I kind of got burned out on it and decided that I wanted to learn something completely different in, in school. And I'd always been interested in economics and in business. And so I actually switched my major over to econ. And that's where I ended up spending the majority of my school time on. And so I, I during that time, I wasn't 100% sure that I was uh, going to be an entrepreneur. I, I did a couple of things that are outside the box. I don't know if I've ever told this in a podcast, but like I joined ROTC for a couple of years and wanted to be a ranger and jump out of planes. And it was a lot of fun uh, doing that. I was on rifle team and all sorts of stuff. And I also left school for a semester and moved to Australia. And I got a, a job with the Australian government doing internet communications and technology research and analysis. And that's exactly the kind of job that somebody who was getting an econ degree would have wanted. Yeah, that was really working for the government right right out of college. Or and they asked me actually to stay in Sydney and, and keep working there. But when I when I went over there and, and living in Australia it was fantastic. It was a, an amazing experience. But the job that I had, I was working nine to five and I was doing research and analysis, which was painfully boring. I had a terrible boss. I had a cube and uh, and I just, I really hated what I was doing. I was going in, sitting at a desk. I had all these ideas of things that I thought I should, could do or should be creating. And I had to sit there and I had to compile reports and read through lots of data and information. And I, during that time, I was also running the business um, on the side. So when I'd get home from work from that job, I'd go, you know, pull the laptop out and I'd start working on client work. And, uh, and we even had some side businesses and sold a company while I was in Australia too. Um, so in terms of that serial entrepreneur, it's, it's always been there. So here I was super unhappy with the work I was doing, hating what I was doing. And then I was still doing this like moonlighting thing. And I loved the moonlighting. It was giving me all this energy and giving me all this purpose and I had a lot of passion around it, but then I'd go in and do this work for, that was super boring because you know what? And, and here's what I'll say is I was doing that because I thought it was what you were supposed to do. I had been programmed since entering school that you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, you get good grades, you finish college and you get a job and you work at that career until you're 65 or 70 or whatever. And then maybe you get 10 or 15 years of doing your own thing when you're all done. And the, the school system right now, it preaches that. I mean, the, all the the pep rallies and the speakers that they bring in and your your counselor and your teacher is like, go to college, go to college, go to college, do this thing, go get a job. 
And the whole time I felt like I was this, you know, really a, you know, square, square peg in a round hole. Like it never fit with me. I was always doing extra stuff on the nights and weekends. I was always, you know, reading programming books or doing things that weren't taught or weren't offered in school. And I finally realized when I was in Australia, I was like, man, this is like, I can't do this. I really just can't, like my heart's just not in this. I can't do this for the rest of my life. And, uh, and that's when I realized that I needed to, that's probably when I started to realize that I needed to, um, to do something else was that, you know, that job, that six months of wearing a suit and doing what I was supposed to, and just literally hating it. Well, I, I feel better now that you've had that soul crushing experience. <laughs> so, so now I think we can be friends and we'll, we'll continue with the interview. But no, I mean, it's funny, right? Because I, I felt the exact same way going through school is I always I always had that kind of entrepreneurial bug. I thought I didn't do anything about it in college, but I had that kind of drive. And I, and I kind of saw myself in the in the long term, at least eventually becoming an entrepreneur. But it never occurred to me that I could just do it right then or start right away. I always felt like, well, I, I got to get a real job first. I've got to do the real world thing first, and then I can become an entrepreneur. And I think you're right. I think it's, it's just so it's socialized into you, and it's almost you know it's 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 so um, subliminal in a way. Like I didn't realize that that's what was being uh, communicated to me, but but that's what I started to believe. It's definitely a, a powerful thing, and. I mean, uh, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, so we, at you gurus, we, we, we coach, consult and have, have a business accelerator for people that are running a digital agency. And, you know, we, we meet plenty of people that are in the opposite situation. They chose entrepreneurship, maybe out of need or out of a uh, personal situation or out of getting laid off or, or accidentally they started doing some contract work and it just became a, a business. Um, and we, we talked to a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs and feel the almost the same thing of being trapped and having to uh, eat what you kill and have to learn about growing a business. And there's a lot of people that would just prefer to, you know, work at an agency or work at another business and uh, focus on their craft. And I've had a lot of those folks that have worked for me over the years that they see what we go through and they see what we've built. And while they're like, oh, it'd be interesting to have that kind of upside potential, you know, they enjoy focusing on their work, focusing on their craft without having to worry about, you know, the other six or seven hats that are very important to running a business. Yeah, absolutely. So take me back to the early days of the agency. You know, you've decided to take it full time. You know, you're, you and your partner are working, you know, full steam ahead. I'm sure working to the bone. What, what were some of the early struggles in those days? Um, I guess being okay with hot dogs, mac and cheese and forties. Um, that would probably be the the trifecta of zero uh, as low cost food as you can imagine. We had this. We worked out of our uh, apartment, uh, and we we had a little kitchen nook, like a breakfast kitchen area, and it was a six foot wide table or eight foot wide table, maybe we bought from Office Depot. And this is back before really nice, you know, flat panels and everybody being able to work on laptops. I mean, you to work, I mean, I had a laptop, but it was, it was like 25 pounds, but you had these big CRT monitors. And so we have these like two 21 inch monitors each all on this six foot office depot table. And literally there was so much weight on the table that this, this table was buckling at the center. And it, I think by the time we left that apartment, it had it had cracked in multiple places and we literally were right next to our kitchen and like the trash can. And if our, we hadn't done our dishes or something, we're having to sit there through that, 
you know, that kind of messy bachelor pad ish. And we, we lived in the same house and we just worked and we'd have clients over and they, they, you know, <laughs> have meetings with us at our kitchen table on a regular basis, or we'd meet at coffee shops. And we felt super insecure about all that. Didn't really have a confidence in what we were doing. And that affected us in, in a big way. I mean, it really, it made us feel like we had to get like projects that worked with people that were really in our comfort zone and, you know, they never had really many, uh, a lot of money at first and we would work our butts off for really small amounts of money. And even though we had a lot of talent, we just didn't have that real world experience. And it took us some time to really, uh, figure that out. And, um, we actually decided to move the business from Boulder to Denver cause we, it was kind of a strategic move for us. And this was a little bit before Boulder became a, a software um, you know, hotbed for a lot of software and tech folks. So at the time when I, when I lived there, that didn't really exist in 2004, 2005. And we moved to Denver to be around more, a more metropolitan area, be around other, other bigger businesses. And that was a really good move for us at the time. We moved to Denver, uh, started to do some basic SEO work for our own company, started getting inquiries, uh, from companies and picked up a few five figure deals. And, and that really, uh, paved the way for us to turn it into more of a real business of, you know, having, hiring some people. We had a team in Poland that did a lot of our, some of our creative work. And, uh, and then Steve and I still did a lot of our, um, you know, backend development, the front end development, some of the design work, but started actually bringing on, you know, we used offshore folks to, to get a good deal on their, their rate. And then that way, um, that gave us a way to kind of hire people without like a full-time U.S.-based salary. And then we continued getting clients, opened an office. I mean, there's all sorts of mistakes there I could get into. But um, we decided that we wanted to not work out of our house anymore because one, I mean, we kind of wanted a place to go, but one guy, probably a couple of people, one guy had come over to to do a project meeting and he, you know, found out that we lived in a, a loft, like a really nice downtown loft and, you know, whatever. And, and he was like, oh, I thought you guys were a bigger agency. But, you know, and of course, part of that could be that, be, you know, we we projected that image on our website. Like, oh, we're at the time, I think our, our company was named uh, CCD Web Solutions. So we kind of started rebranding ourselves away from Crystal Clear Designs and went to CCD Web Solutions. That was kind of before we rebranded as Hot Press Web. And, um you know, he, he thought our business should have been bigger and he didn't want to sign on for like an $8,000 project because we worked out of our home, which is just, you know, stupid. And so we, we felt a lot of, uh, I think just self-conscious about that and thought, okay, if we're going to be a real agency, we need to get the downtown office space. And so we, you know, overextended ourselves and got into all sorts of trouble for the next two years. So what, what would you say changed between the time that you were, you know, uh, doing smaller deals, really whatever you could find, uh, and you're, and you're working from, you know, from the kitchen, from the living room, what would you say changed between that, that time and the time that you were able to, you know, finally win some of the larger five, five and six figure deals. Like, was it a mindset thing? Was it just an, you know, an obstacle you had to overcome? Was it experience? Like, what was the difference? I mean, confidence, I'd say was a big one of just having the confidence to talk to bigger companies and understand what they're really after. I mean, we gave a lot of early pitches where, you know, I was, we were over pitching our technology or over pitching ourselves and we weren't spending enough time really understanding who the client was, what were their problems, what were they trying to accomplish and, and then getting into here's the solution. So we didn't really have those, those core uh, business skills. 
Uh, and then the other thing was, I mean, we really didn't know how to market our business. Like we would just kind of come up with ideas. I mean, I remember we got this guy, Andrew uh, Neatlich, I think is his name. He had this professionals marketing handbook or something that we bought. It was a 300 page ebook. We printed it out, had it, had it bounded. And that was kind of how we tried to market our business. It was one of the first books that we had read on how to market a business. And he had some great stuff in there. And so we started executing on that. But the funny thing is, is we actually got, when we first moved to Denver, we, we started actually having some really big success. We've got a couple of big associations signed on, a five-figure annual contract. We had a billion-dollar oil company that, that signed on. And literally, like, uh, after we did their initial project, we, we we could just walk into their office, have a meeting with them, and within an hour or two, we could identify another two dozen problems that they could pay us, you know, five figures to to solve again. Like every time we went in and talked to them, we had four to five thousand, you know, four to five figures worth of worth of project work to do. But then something really interesting happened. We actually started once we got our overhead in place. And we got an office and we had a, we hired a couple employees. We started pursuing everything. Every lead that came in, every opportunity, every person that I met became a potential client and I pursued it and I tried to get a deal out of it. And what ended up happening over a period of about two years was we went from a couple of really great clients that were really paying the bills uh, to trying to build websites for anybody with a pulse. And our average deal size went from, let's say $30,000 all the way down to 1500 bucks uh, over the course of two years. This was kind of like boiling ourselves, you know, in, in water. I don't, we didn't realize it was happening at the time, but people were coming into the business. We were not qualifying them. We were investing hours in sales discovery. We were creating proposals that were outside of their budget, probably in some cases that were outside of our capabilities. And we went after every single dollar an opportunity with our fullest, you know, fullest energy. And what happened was, um, while maybe some of our volume went up in the amount of projects we were doing, our margins basically shrank to zero, then negative, and then we got ourselves in a situation where we couldn't pay our bills, and we we really hit rock bottom. And that was right around 2007. I I always tell people I had three bucks in my bank account, and. Uh, I couldn't afford the gas to, to drive to work. So I started biking to work and my team thought I was just trying to get into shape. And the reality was, is, you know, we had basically ran our business into the ground and, um, and that was very difficult to understand, to have these, you know, and, and to not really understand why it was happening. And that's a, a lot of the, the, the content and the frameworks that we teach in our accelerator really come out of that because a lot of people get themselves in that situation. They don't know who their ideal customer is. They don't have a specific market, specialty, geography, industry, psychographic constraint. They don't understand who they really should be working with. They just want to work with anybody with a pulse. And I can tell you right now that I did that. And there are some benefits. Like it gave us a lot of experience. We worked with a, a variety of different industries. I mean, there's a silver lining there. But the, the fact is, is we hedged our entire company, uh, risked our entire company on the lack of a clear and coherent strategy. And that almost crushed us. And um, I mean, fortunately, we, we, we made it through that. I think we, we have a certain level of patience and persistence uh, and perseverance that got us through that. But uh, it definitely was a wake-up call. So what was it that, that, that compelled you to you know, kind of go out and, you know, chase any kind of business from any kind of client? Was it, did you feel like you had to pay overhead or like what was yeah. the driving? 
yeah. payroll, rent, um, you know, the, the thousand dollar a month, uh, T one line that we had to pay for. I, I don't know. I mean, there's, uh, you know, I mean, you get at the time and, and this was somewhat early days in the internet. I mean, now you have social media, you have just this amazing ability to connect with other people. You have got a lot of people that are publishing great information about how to run all types of businesses online. But back in 2007, that really wasn't the case. I mean, you had a handful of bloggers, but you'd kind of look around and our understanding of what it was, what it meant to grow a business was, yeah, you get an office, you get employees. We didn't understand some really basic strategic and strategy is such a buzzword. And I use it a lot in our program and in our teaching and stuff, but we didn't really understand how important the underlying strategy was of your business. We didn't understand that, uh, if we, that, that we could choose who we spent our time with, that we could choose the type of clients that we were trying to attract, that we could have some kind of influence on that. I mean, we were going after really broad terms like Denver web design. Well, that's great from certain perspective. If you've got great qualification criteria that says, look, you're looking for a website in Denver and you meet these other criteria, then maybe going after that search term is a really good idea. But if you're going after Denver web design and you're getting everybody that has no business and, and it has a startup that they're looking to fund with their $2,000 limit on their credit card, all the way up to a Fortune 500 company who's looking for a local agency to hire, you know, and you, you have to have something on the back end to qualify the bad fits or to, to identify who you want to work with and who you don't want to work with. So we were going after this tactic first, let's get our SEO rank up. We didn't have a core business strategy of who we actually wanted to work with. So when anybody came to us from that search term, we were like, oh yeah, like, hey, hey, you don't have a business, you're a startup, you're unfunded. Great, let's have let's have lunch. Um, you know, or I'll drive across, you know, town to meet with you for three hours. Uh, oh, hey, you're a you're a nonprofit that doesn't have a budget and you know is four hours away. Great, you know, I'll go out and meet with you, right? And so, and, and I probably we pursued a lot of that business with you know our fullest effort, but we probably could have done eighty percent less work, had a little bit of a strategic edge to our 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 business plan, and we probably would have gotten much better results doing far less. And that's what we really try to help people with is answer some some basic questions about what kind of work they do, what kind of problems they solve, who is the best fit for them to solve those problems. And then let's come up with some ideas of how to get you in front of those people. And, and when we started doing that, so just to kind of let you know, like when we hit rock bottom, we had to take on about $50,000 in, in debt to stay afloat. 25,000 of that went out the door on day one to pay back rent, back salary, et cetera. Uh, the other 25 K became about a three week buffer, um, with our other cash flow to keep the business afloat. And we said, okay, we need to go learn how to run a business. So we joined a business accelerator. We started to, um, talk to mentors that we had known that were in our network and said, Hey, this is the situation. What should we be doing? What should we be focusing on? What are we doing wrong? And we started pulling back the curtain and sharing very openly what was going on in what I call the back of the house behind, you know, in the kitchen, if you're a restaurant, right? Like what's, what's the messy stuff. And for a long time, I was very protective of that. I didn't want to tell people about my business ideas. I didn't want to tell people about my business problems. I had a little ego, a little pride there, a little secrecy, like, oh, we're, we're not going to share our secret sauce. But then what happened was it was kind of crazy. We started to talk about those problems. We started to talk about our issues 
We started to show people our numbers and, and our projects and our contracts and who our clients were. And, and we started getting really good, actionable advice of what we needed to stop doing and what we needed to start doing. And sometimes it's, it's some of both, that there's some things that you're doing right now that aren't helping you and having that, that advice, those mentors to come in and say, hey, you know, this thing over here that you're spending a lot of time on, uh, if you just stop doing that, you're gonna, it's, it's not going to have any negative impact in your business. Like, oh, okay, cool. And then you do that and then you get a benefit. And then, you know, hey, this thing over here to shift some uh, gears and, and maybe start doing some other things and you might have some other benefits. Is there one particular lesson that jumps out at you from, from those days when you engage with that community of peers? Oh, there's, I mean, there's so many. I mean, some of the basic things that had a phenomenal impact on us. Now, we were a multi-person team. So for anybody that's working solo, this doesn't apply to you. But if you have a couple people in your company, uh, we were really sharing the load on several different things like sales, project management, some dev work. We were all kind of jumping, you know, we were very uh, uh, multi-purpose skill sets. And one of our mentors said, look, you guys need to divide and conquer. One of you, whoever's the best at selling, go spend as much or all of your time selling. One of you that's more operational or project management, you need to spend all of your time dealing with the demand that the salesperson has created. So we, uh, and this took a little time for us to like work out the kinks, but I started basically becoming the, the biz dev person. So I basically had this seat that I had defined and then my business partner handled the operations and projects. So once I sold something, I handed it off to him and then he had to produce it. And then I went back out while they're working on that last project. I'm going out there and I'm trying to find that next piece of business. That was very different from how we were before because I would sell something and then I would share some of the workload of actually producing that thing, whether it was design or development. And then I, I got that off my plate. The other thing that I um, got off my plate was I was doing a lot of support and training stuff. So clients that once we launched their websites or were doing ongoing marketing for them, they'd call me and I would kind of, you know, be their liaison, account manager, if you will. And so that was the other thing. I, I was taking up about 20 hours of my time every week. I started tracking my time and I saw that and said, you know what? I can let somebody else on my team do that. Now, at first I was like, they're not going to be able to do as good a job as me, blah, blah, blah. And maybe right at first, that was probably the case. They did about 60, 70% of the, as good of a job as I did. But then as that person got to own that and learn it and get better at it, and as we put in metrics and training to help them with that, they ultimately ended up doing the job way better than I did. So I got 20 hours of my time back. And I got to use that for selling, networking, marketing. Um, I wasn't doing code and development anymore. We had, you know, we really let go of that and let our team do that. And so that division of, of roles and getting specific around that, and, and we didn't really get great at doing that until even about three or four years ago. So I'm just telling you guys right now, like to understand what it means to be in a seat, to understand what you're accountable for sitting in that seat. I mean, the first, the general first pass was everything that has to do with sales, you do everything that has to do with, with project delivery, you do um, that piece right there probably gave, let us we probably two X our business in a year just by doing that. And then, um, you know, some of the other things like we were just undercharging. We were, I think our hourly was like 65 bucks an hour. We felt, we felt obligated to not charge our clients a lot of money, even though we had grown a lot, our skill sets in the market had, you know, grown 
and uh, pricing really, we were under undervalued and our, we weren't confident about it. And, and one of our advisors was like, dude, you need to raise your rates. So we raised them to like one, 100 an hour. And just right there, going from 65 to 100, I mean, and we were still just as busy. So all of a sudden, you know, we're making 30, 40% more money. Um, and our pipeline is full because I'm spending almost all of my time doing sales. So those are, those are two of the big things. There was a lot of little things and I'm probably overlooking some things that we did, but that was, that was two of the really big things. So why did you feel obligated? I, that's an interesting choice of words to use to keep your prices mm-hmm. low. Was it, was it guilt or what was it? I mean, yeah, it could be a little bit. I mean, there's, I, I talk to people that are in this situation all the time. They have five different rates. They have the rates that they charged their clients, you know, 10 years ago to, you know, when they first started out and they still charge those clients that same rate. Then they decided at some point to charge, you know, a little bit more, but they didn't roll it out on their old clients because they didn't want to upset the apple cart. They felt like, you know, those people trusted them way back when, and they want to continue to, to reward that relationship with a low rate, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that was where we were at. And I, I talked to people every day that are in that situation. I was talking to somebody earlier today that, you know, they knew that they should raise their rate, but they felt like if they raised it, that some of their older clients would, would leave their business. And, you know, I kind of at this point I go, so what? So what? Find new clients. You know, if, they, if your business model doesn't work for them, that's not your problem. And, um, but people, you know, people are humans and you have a relationship with people and you don't want to let them down. I think a lot of salespeople or entrepreneurs at some level want to make people happy, um, or satisfy them. And that's one of the things, you know, what, what makes them a great entrepreneur is that they're trying to please people by solving their problems and helping them. And sometimes that goes too far. And then you end up in a situation where you have five different rates and some of, you know, what, what we found was, and we had a couple of clients that even had some grandfather, stupid low rates, like 50 bucks an hour. We were actually losing money on that. We had, from when we set that price, when we were in college, had zero overhead, uh, to when we had a downtown office and team members and management and uh, servers and stuff, like there was a lot of business growth that happened there. And so we, we ran the numbers and every time we did an hour worth of work for $50, we were losing money, hard cost money out the door. We would have been better off not to do the work than to spend that hour working on that. And so... Um, you know, I think there's confidence and fear around if I raise my rates, uh, what's going to happen. And so look, when in our, in our bootcamp program, very first thing we do, very first meeting, first discussion, what are your rates? How can we help you raise them? What's your plan to do that? What are you going to communicate? Every business out there right now can raise their prices by 10% and they will not lose a customer. They will not. I mean, unless you're in some crazy, hyper competitive, wholesale driven market, where you're doing deals with Amazon for products or whatever, but all service businesses right now, if you're charging a hundred bucks an hour and you turn around tomorrow and you raise your rate to 110, you're not losing any customers. If you're charging 50 and you raise your rates to 55, you're not losing any customers. But what you have done in a very short amount of time is you've increased your profit margin, your net take home for the entire year by 10%. So if you're making hundred K and you raise your rates by 10%, you're going to make 110,000. For a lot of people, that extra 10% is the difference between taking a vacation or not taking a vacation, um, maybe buying a car or not buying a car. And so it's, it's, re, it's a really big deal. So even if you're an agency, and again, I was talking to a company today that's you know, $5 million a year company, and they're really stressed about raising their rate. I'm just like, dude, like you guys are a $5 million company. If you guys raise your rate by 10%, that's half a million dollars that the partners are going to share, assuming that you, know, you continue being as crazy busy as you are today. 
And uh, so that was that was powerful for for us was when we raised our rates. And here's here's the the, the voodoo. We raised our rates. We thought we were going to lose all of our clients. Didn't lose one. And not only that, but the clients that we communicated that to all of a sudden started taking us more seriously. Said, hey, these guys, obviously they think they're more valuable. They must be more valuable. We need to get them more involved. We started getting more work after we raised our rates than we had before we got a raise. And we started taking ourselves more seriously. We started working a little bit longer hours. We started to put more time into the business, the systems. We started seeing some profit come out of the business. We started paying ourselves competitive salaries. So we got to take the business a lot more seriously. And in turn, the business grew faster, right? So there's this like weird correlation. And we see it with our, our graduates and our students every time of where your rate, whether you tell your client your hourly rate or not, um, what you use to calculate your pricing, what you use to think about how much you're, you know, you're trying to, to charge or, or do, you know, I mean, it plays a really big impact on the, it's a really small number, but it plays such a huge impact on um, what ends up happening to your, your, your P&L over the course of the year in your mindset. So. Yeah, no, I love that. Pricing is a hundred percent psychology. And I think what people don't realize is, it's it's psychology from the customer's perspective. It affects the way that they perceive you, how serious they take you, all of those things. But it also affects your own psychology. Or you take yourself more seriously. You begin to value your own work more than you did before. Absolutely. I mean, the first time I had somebody pay me 10 grand for a day of consulting, I mean, I was like, what? Did that just happen? You know, I mean, so it 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 happens that you when, you know, that confidence, I mean, what, what happens that first time? The first time, you know, you, you go to a client, let's see, you guys are out there right now, you're charging 50 bucks an hour. Brent says, Hey, you can raise that by 10%, but you know, you probably can raise it by 50% not lose any clients, but you do that and you go through that experience and that's where experience versus knowledge. There's such, there's such a, a nuanced difference there and it's very, very powerful. It's small, but it's powerful. Somebody tells you, you should raise your rate and you know that you should but you don't do it. You have the information, but you don't really have confidence with information. You just, you just know something's possible or you think you should do something. Now you get the experience of raising your rate or charging a little bit more, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone and you win that deal. All of a sudden, once you've got that experience validated, that's where the confidence comes from. Because then the next person that comes along and says, Hey, I want to build a website. I need some help with growing my business, whatever. And you go to them and you go, well, last time I proposed 10K for a day of consulting, like maybe I'm going to do 15 <laughs> you know, or, or maybe I'm just going to, it won't cause me any stress and you'll be able to talk about pricing better or you'll be able to present your offer more clearly and coherently. So, so yeah, it's, it's a pricing is a lot of psychology now. So if you go in and double your prices, if you're charging a hundred bucks today and you hear this thing from Brent and Ahmad and you're like, oh, I'm going to charge $200 an hour because they said it's possible. I mean, at some point you will find the market ceiling. Uh, and, and, you know, as you get into that hundred percent or 200% price raise, we had one guy in, in boot camp one time that, you know, he got motivated and he, he was like, I'm going to raise my rate 300%. And you know, went from like 80 bucks an hour to something crazy, like 240 or something. And, you know, yeah, his clients all said, yeah, see you later. Um, but because he, you know, and may, maybe his mindset wasn't there yet. Maybe his psychology wasn't there yet. Maybe his skill set or his, you know, what he was able to produce for them, you know, he exceeded the market limit for himself. Um, but that is having over a thousand people not graduate boot camp. That is, a, it's rare. Most of us are constantly undervaluing ourselves, and we 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 view ourselves more of an in a negative frame than a positive or overly optimistic one. And I think that's the trait of being a human that 
you look on the horizon, you see a lion and your body has a stronger reaction with fear than it does if you look up on the ridge and you see an apple tree and it's a, you know, a orchard of food for your family, right? I mean, fear is just DNA. Like we are just laden with DNA that makes us respond better to free of fear. But, uh, you know, maybe that's a different podcast episode. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a really practical way to get over that fear, and, and you alluded to this, is before you raise your rates for your existing clients, start testing higher prices with new clients. Because if they're going to agree to your new prices, why wouldn't your old clients, who, if anything, you have more credibility and authority with them than anybody else, because they've been working with you, they know how valuable you are, right? So if someone else will pay the higher rate, your existing clients will almost definitely pay the higher rate. And and you could even argue they should they could even they should even pay an even higher rate because of all of the knowledge and information you have about their business versus somebody that you don't know anything about a new client. Why are they paying a higher rate when you actually have more built up intellectual property about your existing clients? But again, you know, I think most people find a more standard issue to do exactly what you just said, Ahmad, which is, you know, test some things out in the market. You know, not with the folks that are paying you today, but with the folks that might pay in the future, you get a little bit of that confidence that you can turn around and raise your rates across the board. Absolutely. So listen, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing now at YouGurus and the Bootcamp. Yeah. So we run a, a 10-week business accelerator for uh, early stage digital agencies. So you have one to 10 people uh, on your team, then we can help you a lot with marketing, sales, and uh, operations, uh, projects, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but most, I'd say the majority of that program, uh, even though we do a lot on process and project management and team uh, structure, you know, I'd say the majority of that program is dedicated to um, some some front side problems around business strategy, marketing uh, your business and um, how, how are you, uh, what are your sales systems in place? And, and what we try to get people to the point of is what we call high value work for high value pay. So that if you're, you know, if you're commoditized right now, if you're struggling with, you know, these bottom dollar clients, things like that, we want to put you in a place of power and control and expertise with the right market so that you're able to get above market wages, but you're also doing work that matters for your clients. This is not about, you know, using some tactic to just charge your clients more money. Uh, this is about having a deeper conversation with them about what they're really trying to accomplish with their business. What are their goals? What would move the needle for them? You know, are they buying just a website or are they trying to get more? Are they trying to grow their business? Are they trying to attract more customers and leads and the website's the way? And how can you guys really work together to make that happen? That's what we call high value work. So we teach you a lot about what are the things that companies and nonprofits and organizations are paying a lot of money for right now? What do they really value and how do we make your services and skill set that you have right now, how do we make it line up with those things, those finished story benefits? And then how do we get you in front of the right customers? So uh, if you, you know, if you're, if you're not working in the right market or, you know, it's funny, we ask people like, well, what market do you want to work in? And people go, oh, like uh, coaches that are just starting out. I'm like, wow, you realize those people have like maybe 30 grand a year in revenue. So let's try a different business type because you're never going to get a $20,000 project from somebody that's making 30K a year. So that's where our mentorship comes in place. So our accelerator is all mentor driven. Um, all of the folks coming through get assigned a mentor based on their specific background and the goals they're trying to accomplish. And uh, that mentor works with them every week in a group setting. And then they also get some one-on-one -on -one time with that mentor. And our goal is your first or next $10,000 project. So one of the reasons that we created that as a 10-week program was we really wanted you to be able to get some new leads and opportunities using our methods 
actually go through our sales process at least once with a live client and be working with your mentor as you go through that project and them giving you that guidance and encouragement and helping you build that confidence to charge higher prices or to navigate those waters in, in real time with your opportunities. And ideally, selling a 10K project. Now, for some folks, they go through program and they they build some of their foundation and then maybe it's a month later they sell a high value deal. Uh, one of our, our mentors, you know, she graduated boot camp and two months later she sold her first five-figure deal. She sold a $24,000 deal. Now it's like that's her, almost her entry point. She actually signed a $250,000 deal uh, with a major organization and is now working with companies in the Fortune 500. So it's a, it's a progression, but it all starts with that boot camp accelerator. Well, it sounds like an incredibly valuable experience. We're going to drop a link to, to the to the boot camp and to you gurus in the show notes to this episode. Brent, thank you so much. This has been incredibly valuable and really inspiring. Yeah, Ahmad, my pleasure, man. And uh, yeah, best of luck, it's luck to you. And thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.